0: I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. We are back. Another episode of the Touch Them All podcast ready to roll here. And uh, I think it's safe to say, Derek Wetmore, you and I are more ready for this podcast than the Twins are over the past 17 years to face the Yankees
1: yeah.
0: in yeah. New York City. Low bar in the to clear. Bronx. Low bar to clear. So let's start off with this. And, and it's possible that maybe the Twins have defeated the Yankees by the time you're listening to this. We've, uh, we're have we recording this between games two and three of a four-game series. We had Jason Stark on our daily radio show. I think it was yesterday, whenever, Tuesday and he did the number crunching going back, including playoffs and including regular season, the Twins' record against the Yankees, if you extrapolate it to a 162-game season, the Twins would would lose 120 games if they played the Yankees every day. Now, like, so fans are going to say, well, yeah, of course. I mean, the Yankees are just better than the Twins, and the Twins have had some bad teams over that stretch, and the Yankees pretty rarely have had bad teams, but... Baseball is a sport where the worst teams are still winning like 40% of their games against a mixed schedule of good teams and bad teams. So this is probably a rhetorical question. How is it possible that a Twins franchise that has swapped out roster after roster, managers, front offices, we're talking different stadiums and different collections of Yankee talent. How can it be this bad? How can it be this bad? It's rhetorical. I know. Yeah, I was
1: going to say that. (laughs) Just make that the headline of the podcast, and I'll say I don't know, and we'll say see you next week. I don't get it. Uh, I, I guess let me take you back to October. Um, I was fortunate enough to be in the press box at Yankee Stadium when Brian Dozier hits the home run off Luis Severino, and you're thinking, hmm. oh, this was supposed to be the fun story twins and the Yankees overmatched them and it was just history in, was against them and in, they In that cursed. moment
0: when they were up 3 nothing, and you thought, you know, Rosario doesn't have any history of failure against the Yankees. What does and he care? Dozier really doesn't have any meaningful history of failure. Maybe maybe this is the team that just... Byron
1: Buxton might not have known Phil Cuzzy screwed Joe Mauer.
0: Was it, he even born yet? <laughs> Do we know? Um, yeah. Like, checking the that records. That was That was... And maybe it still winds up being the team that... Gets over it, but it doesn't look that way. Yeah, hey,
1: but I think, gosh,
0: it seems ridiculous
1: now. Now that we have this information, and who who knows what happens the final two games of the series, maybe it twins even it out, maybe it's swept, and then we're all talking about, ugh, this is sort of gross. Um, but I have to admit that in that moment, sitting in the press box, I'm keeping score. You've seen me. I, I keep score, and I keep score in pen, which is a mistake, but I just can't correct that bad habit. But I'm sitting there. You don't like to keep a book. I like to keep a book. I keep it all mentally. Yes, you do. You have this weird Rain Man ability to be like, what, he Rosario do in the third inning? And you're like, struck out looking. And I look down at my sheet, and I'm like,
0: oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I'm like lazy. I rely on that. On a one-two pitch. Yeah. <laughs> after fouling three off uh it was uh, a breaking ball that's right great um
1: actually you could just guess and say like yeah it was a first pitch he swung at a slider in the dirt and grounded out um back-to-back podcasts i've just taken cheap shots at eddie rosario who's no a, one of the twins best players hit a clutch grand slam <laughs> yeah. like a week ago and by scores the, way. the winning run in puerto rico what am, what am i doing uh i need to reevaluate some things but i have to admit that sitting in that press box And I'm sure fans had this sitting at home as well. I thought, see, all that stuff is BS. See, nobody cares. Byron Buxton doesn't care about that. Jason Castro does not care about the sordid Twins history against the Yankees in New York. Why would any of these guys care? And now, fast forward, Jake Odorizzi doesn't care. He's faced that lineup enough. Even the young guys has some familiarity with him. Lance Lynn does not care care. was probably unaware of the twins futility dating back to 2002 against the yankees in the bronx and yet i feel silly now admitting sitting in this chair recording this podcast that for a brief moment in that yankee stadium press box i thought
0: wow the twins are gonna do this i'm gonna have to book my next flight I, and it's and i get it you could i guess you know, we are we're, we're probably one of the more analytically inclined baseball podcasts out there, and so you and I could both listen to an argument for relatively small sample size. You know, it's less than one full season of data over seventeen years and multiple. Ro- but I, but I would say there has to be some. There has to be a pinstripe effect here. I actually, I'll give you this anecdote, and this doesn't apply to this team, which makes it even more baffling. I uh, Statue of limitations is is gone on this. I think I can. I'm not going to give you names here, but I will tell you that after the 2010 Twins loss, they got swept clean by the Yankees. It's the last time they were in an actual playoff series against the Yankees. And it was supposed to be the year where they finally got over the hump, right? I believe they had home field advantage in the series because they played yeah, they played the first two games of the ALDS at home. 2010? Yep. This, I remember your radio games. show with Pat is before, well before I worked at Hubbard, but you guys talking
1: about the 2010 regular season is a formality. It, All matters. The
0: 2011 season was supposed to be a formality oh I mixed I ideas. wrote a column about that and then wound Not up that. being obviously dead how'd that go yeah because anyway, it was like the, it was like a video game where you like the level that you can't get past is Bowser's castle at the end sure. of Mario and you have to then like if you lose you have to start over at level one and okay it's gonna take me like five hours to get back there but like I know I can beat these levels you should just I take the beat. flute get back to Bowser <laughs> or or that yeah that's fine Find the twins should have done that yeah they they should have but I remember being on a flight from Minneapolis to Fort Myers the next spring after they had gotten swept again by the Yankees in 2010. Yeah. And somebody from the organization's field staff was sitting right next to me on the plane. And I don't know, like, it's a three-hour flight. You get talking after a while, an hour and a half in, you start, you know, you're talking ball and maybe venting some frustrations. And this person opened up a vein off the record to me about how Ron hires demeanor. And his anxiety and nervous tension rubbed off on the team in those Yankee series. That it just got to the point where they had played the Yankees so many times in the regular season and so many times in the postseason with very little in the way of positive results. That it's like the the manager could feel his resume, and then you know they got swept by the A's in 2006, and mm-hmm. he had that long he had a, he had a run of like 12 consecutive playoff losses that still stands today. And and that nervous energy rubbed off on the players. Now, did it account for ten percent of the reason why they lost? I mean, having a rod go bonkers on you is a big reason. So there's that too. Yeah. But so so like that made a lot of sense to me. That you know if if you start to tighten up or do too much at the plate, you're swinging at bad pitches because you're trying to force something. Hmm. That can definitely factor in the chess match of baseball. If there's a nervous energy among your team, I firmly believe in that. But how does that explain right? what has continued to happen. Now they've had some bad years after that where the roster just wasn't as good. So I get that, but you know what? Like they can't even hold this team under eight runs. Like yeah. they can't, they can't get anyone out against this. Roster. Well, so two things, I,
1: I, there's something there, but I also think that can be some, this can be some after the fact, explain away excuse making, if you want to call it that. And I don't know who you're talking about, but I'm not throwing them under the bus. I'm just saying like you look for ways to rationalize the past. It's what we do as humans. And uh, I don't know. I I think that it's amazing to me that if you're talking, what was that a forty-two and a hundred twenty pace, mm-hmm. basically? Like, yeah, there's some been some lopsided rosters, but no, no mismatch in baseball is that lopsided, right? So I don't know exactly what's at play here. I've always kind of wondered. I do think it's interesting they're getting them this early in the season. John Carlos Stanton hasn't taken off yet. Uh, some of their guys are really, really swinging well, though, and they can pitch, it looks like. That was a question with the Yankees this year, is after Severino, can you get outs? Yes is the answer, uh, at least to this point in the season. So I think this is really one of the super teams in baseball. I think the Twins haven't measured up to them. I think even even if you threw out the Yankees-Twins history, there'd be a lot of Twins fans with some anxiety right now about what's going on and what it... Not just what happens here in this series. Who cares? Everyone knows it's April, too early. But what it sort of foreshadows for the future, like if this team gets swept and it goes on, you know, losing seven in a row or whatever. At this, at the time of this recording, they've lost five in a row. And even Molitor, you could just hear it in his voice yesterday. I watched the Fox Sports North post game, the, the media scrum that they make available, and it's like Molitor's wearing it a little bit. He does not like losing five games in a row. And we can say weather, we can say inconsistent schedule, we can say whatever we want. Buxton's missing, Logan Morrison hasn't guessed, started on and on and on down the list. But like at some point, the games matter, and we're more than 10% of the way into the schedule, and it's still early, but I think that the combination of Yankees history plus the first two games of this series coming off a three-game sweep to a team that you thought was mailing it in this year... It's not a good feeling around the Twins right now. Um, And with that being said, as Mr. Uber conservative, way too early, don't make judgments, everything's a small sample size, variance happens. We should get a
0: shirt, by the way. I was way, just that says say, that's a fair shirt. Variance happens. Yes. I was thinking that <laughs> and when you said, I said that. I would just wear it to every hockey game I ever go to. <laughs> know, well, how true. can the. Like, uh, you ever notice people explaining what happened in a hockey game? Like, well, energy and like they love. checking and grit. It's like, they no, love no. to explain it away.
1: No, var- variance. Yeah, they love to explain it. Uh, well, Ovechkin took 14 shots and he scored five goals.
0: Oh. Variance. All right, that happens sometimes. Yeah. He's, a, he's a great scorer. <laughs> but- Nobody ever knows how to explain <laughs> hockey. Like, nobody ever knows how to explain hockey. I mean, oh, uh, you
1: can you can talk some things, but, like, even the people who are really, really at the top of their game have to say, like, 60-40. Eh, for like, sure. They, they played a 60-40 game, and they came out on the wrong side Right. Of
0: it. I mean, and ba- there's a lot of that in baseball in the small sample size, too. Every game. But like, so, go to numberfire.com or, like, 538.com and look at daily projections for baseball and hockey. Yeah. Baseball games and hockey games. Hockey games. Do you not ho- know that they're not a gonna- hockey event? You're really a-, a hockey match. You're really not a puck guy. Are you? A hockey game. <laughs> hockey a game, a game of hockey. Um, it's always like the 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 best team against the worst team is is sure. you know yeah. sixty yeah, yeah. 60, 40. And I mean, you really have to find a, a
1: you know a terribly lopsided pitching matchup for me to change from anything beyond 65-35. So, so, so the
0: fact that it's 60-40 six, almost at worst. And if you have and a good team against a good worse. team, and the, and, the, and the Twins have had traditionally, like over that stretch, playoff caliber yes. teams more often than not, which I makes know. it more 55 45. For it to be, well, what's 120 40. So amazing. You know, four to, three Sportless. to one, whatever. Yeah. And so, like, with
1: all of that being said, like, there's, maybe there's something going on, and maybe that's an explanation for 20% of it. I, I have no idea, no way, no idea how to quantify it, and I don't know where you'd even start to answer that question with that being said uh 10 of the way into the schedule or whatever and the feedback that i've heard is universally negative people are ready to punt on this team when's training camp start when's the nfl draft and to me first of all to those people that's fine go watch football we'll keep talking about baseball secondly i'm willing to buy some twin stock right now because i think prices are coming way 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 down to use the stock market analogy, and I think this is still a pretty good team. And I've kicked around the idea. Now that I'm saying it on a podcast, maybe I have to do it. We'll see what happens tonight because we've got the Timberwolves tonight in Game Five. If you're listening to this, you probably already know the outcome. Uh, uh, it, we it, probably it, already know the it, outcome. The game hasn't started. We know the <laughs> we outcome. Know the outcome. <laughs> so um, the Twins, though, we don't know the outcome of Wednesday's, Thursday's, and then they come back home. We don't. We don't know what's going to happen here. And I'm telling you, no matter what time you're listening to this podcast. I'm buying twin stock right now because I think people are selling it at a way, way too steep of a discount. This is still a good baseball team. I still you could you could give me a laundry list right now of ten things that are like bad. And and I will right now off the top of my head. But there are also some good things, and I would I would say one of those things is that like bad, bad, bad luck usually doesn't hang around for six months in a row. Now, maybe it hangs around for long enough to bury them. I don't know, but my guess would be, just from having seen this play out before, terrible start, can't overcome if you're a bad team. Rocky start, you can overcome if you're a good team. Or, uh, you know, hot start, maybe that's even enough to propel a bad team to get there. That's, that's just how a 162-game schedule works. I think the Twins are a good team who've gotten off to a rocky start, and the list of negatives... God, we could just play. We played good news, bad news game on your radio show this week, Phil. Do
0: you want to just play the bad news, bad news game? Let's do it in a second here. Yes, and well, there's also there's also some good news that I think both you and I predicted and were out in front that we should get to okay. at some point here too. I love I love
1: bragging about predictions that maybe sometimes come right.
0: And we're not even through the month of April, so we don't, <laughs> don't really know if it's right. But we'll good job, we'll get yes. there. Good job. Uh, thank you for. Uh, Luther Brookdale Toyota's presence on this podcast, a place that my family and I have been going to for 30 plus years. I haven't been driving for 30 years. I mean, I've only been live for like 30 years, but uh, I've been taking all of my cars since the day I turned 16 to Luther Brookdale Toyota for service, for trade-ins, new leases, financing plans. And I, I know if you live in the Twin Cities here and you drive around, there's a million different car dealerships and service departments, but tell you what once you get a feel for the uh the personnel so to speak the family-like atmosphere and i liken it to a new stadium one that was built only about five years ago and uh, and it really just brought they had the front office they had the players they just needed that new stadium and they got it now so stop in see what i've been bragging about here to you guys on 1500 espn and the touch mall podcast for years 694 in brooklyn boulevard and lutherbrookdale toyota.com all right. Just in case he implodes, let's uh, like if the season ended today, the thing that you and I would be the most correct about our love for and lack of bailing from the bandwagon of Ryan Presley.
1: Yes, I'm glad you brought this up.
0: So at some point, I I I know Addison Reed gave up a walk off. I think it was in Tampa a few days ago. I, Addison Reed is your best reliever, and Addison yes. Reed should continue to pitch in those high leverage seventh and eighth inning situations. If at some point Fernando Rodney just became, you know, if he just started showing his age a lot more and he's been off to a a very Fernando Rodney-like start to the season, so there's no reason to think that he's not going to give you ups and downs all year. Ryan Presley has had the stuff and has had the potential for a number of years to fill a really crucial late-inning role. I could see Presley jumping into that number two spot in the bullpen, which maybe is that closer role. So far this season, 12 innings pitched, no runs allowed. 16 strikeouts to just 10 walks and hits combined in those 12 innings. How many walks? Three. Not very many. Three walks. Which has been the biggest thing
1: in my book. Ryan Presley was a guy who had filthy stuff and you couldn't trust him. This year, he's been... Maybe not their most trustworthy because he's not going in the biggest spots, but he's been performance-wise their best reliever so
0: far. The home runs, like he would get into these situations where he'd fall behind in counts and then hang juicy pitches right in the middle of the zone. Like he gave up ten home runs in sixty-one innings last year, eight bombs the year before that, so eighteen home runs as a reliever in the last couple of years combined. None so far this year. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. Yes, totally just jinxed him, But yes. I mean, there's like there's positives to take. I think it's possible that Ryan Presley emerges as. Right next to Addison Reed, just the guy that you're going to lean on in late innings. Ryan Presley's my stat of the week, so we'll
1: get to it at the end of the episode. Do you want to play the bad news, bad news game? Okay, that's fine. We got the good news first there, bad news now. I'll start because this doesn't matter, so we'll just get it out of the way. The Twins, as of this recording, are 8 and third place in the American League Central, overtaken by your Motor City Kitties and Ron Gardenhire, who are 9-11. and They're technically tied in terms of games back from the Indians, but... Yeah, you didn't see yeah. the start of the season kicking off that way. We all buried the Tigers in spring training. You
0: know, it's amazing how a week ago when the Twins pulled out the sixteen inning walk off win in Puerto Rico, yeah, how much and that was so yeah, that was a week ago. Think about how you felt as a Twins fan and someone watching this team when their record was eight and five, yep. and they hung in there after not really playing for a week against Corey Kluber and then Carlos Carrasco, and they hang in they get the clutch hit after yep. five and a half hours, and you're feeling great about the Twins at that point. Like to grind those two games out, less than ideal circumstances at the homestand, getting you know multiple games snowed out or or weathered out in some way. And now just a week later, I mean, it just yeah. shows you that you shouldn't overreact one way or the other to how yes. good you felt at eight and five or how bad you feel at eight. And some nine. people
1: make fun of me for being counterculture because, like, right now as we're recording this podcast. Well, two columns have been like juggling around in my head all day while I'm sitting in meetings pretending to listen. One is Ryan Presley look out, or like Ryan Presley has arrived kind of a thing, which nobody wants to hear about when the twins are 9 and 11 and all their pets' heads are falling off. But he's been good. Good movie reference for Thank me, you. by the way. One Secondly, of the five movies you've seen. Now. It's one of the few I can make confidently, and it's just because I heard somebody else say it one time. The other – Thing that's been kicking around in my head is like, this is like a flood of negativity. Here are five reasons for optimism for the Twins going forward. That's that's probably going to be my next Five Thoughts column. And the reason that that counterculture mentality that I just sort of like naturally have, the reason that that works in baseball is because we all tend to run way too fast to the panic or celebrate button. You think this team is great? Ah, uh-uh. hang on a second. You think this team is going to miss the playoffs by 15 games and should be trading everything not nailed down? Hold on a second. Uh, I'd try to provide a little counterbalance. But, um, yeah, the emotions can swing wildly in a week, especially in April. Yeah. All right, what are some other negative things? Other negatives would be, obviously, Byron Buxton. What's going on there? I just saw a tweet from our buddy, Rhett Bollinger, that said, okay, so he has the migraines. We talked about that on the last episode of the podcast Migraines are a tricky situation. I mean, I guess experiences differ because I I suffer from migraines from time to time, and I've never experienced anything like what Buxton relayed to reporters on the ground in Tampa.
0: Yeah, his explanation is almost more like concussion symptoms, like stuff that's lasting multiple days. Which scares you.
1: And that's a real, I think, concern going forward if I'm the twins – not only just this one isolated thing, but like from a macro perspective, this guy plays center field really hard. We've seen him hit a lot of outfield walls at a pretty high speed, which we can now measure thanks to SatCast. Byron Buxton collided with that wall at 31 feet per second.
0: So you have you have exit velocity for hitters. Would you have impact velocity yeah, for how like, fast somebody was running when in, they went full speed into the fence?
1: In car crash collisions, they call it Delta V, the change in velocity, and I wouldn't want to look up those numbers no. for Buxton's wall collisions. It's it's a It's a real thing. I'm not trying to make light of it that, like— That's bad news in itself. And now Buxton goes down to Fort Myers. Uh, He was already in Tampa. So Fort Myers for some rehab games to just get some DH at bats, play some center field. Hey, great. Rejoin the team in New York. Let's go. As soon as you're eligible to come off the disabled list. Well, here we are April 25th. He's eligible to come off the disabled list because they retro they backdated his DL stint. He's not coming off the disabled list today based on a tweet from our friend Rhett Bollinger who said, Buxton fouled a ball off his toe in one of those Fort Myers rehab games and was in such pain the next day that he had to have it drilled to relieve some of the pressure, which I've never had happen, but it doesn't sound good.
0: So think about that. Let's back up for a second. (laughs) You're
1: wincing right
0: now. That sounds—Dan Hayes told us that uh, in his radio hit with us today. Like, is that— Is that like a like a mini drill bit that they drill into? I don't know. I don't want to think about it. Like what?
1: (laughs) I really my my stomach can't handle thinking about that too long. It's that's one area of bad news for the twins that a guy who could have been their best player
0: is now not available to them, and we don't know when he will be. It's all think about this too. Now Ryan Lamar is a much better defensive outfielder than say Robbie Grossman, but Ryan Lamar is your fifth outfielder. Yeah, Robbie Grossman's your fourth. And 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 now that and, and I think the twins are realizing, yeah, I think maybe Robbie Grossman should just, like, DH. Somebody, maybe once in a while, stand in the corner. An and equipment nobody...
1: guy should forget to bring his glove yeah. to the next road trip.
0: But, I mean, is there... We'd have to go through roster by roster, but when you take... It's not like, oh, Byron Buxton is out of the game and, like, Max Kepler slides to center, so it's the gap between Buxton defensively and Kepler. No, it's the gap between Buxton defensively and Robbie Grossman, yeah. who is an atrocious defensive. He just he has no range. He's... He's not a good defense player. Made a good play on Tuesday, and that's the first time that I've said that yeah, in his he, Twins he career. He also botched a play on like Saturday or mm-hmm. Sunday that led to runs. And so it's so noticeable. I mean, I'm not saying that the Yankees wouldn't have scored a bunch of runs. If if Byron Buxton's out there, the Yankees are still going to hit a bunch of home runs yeah, Like can't over his stand head. Right? Behind the fence. But it's amazing how everything comes together for this team when he's in center field. And now Max Kepler moves back to right field. And your lineup feels more threatening because you have a guy that can turn walks into doubles and singles into doubles and can score from anywhere mm-hmm. on the base path. Yeah, When you take him out of the lineup, it's just such a missing dynamic. And I think, it. I mean, maybe there's, if we're looking for reasons why the Twins just feel like a deflated team, I mean, missing him has to play a, a role psych, psychologically too.
1: Sure. Yeah. And oh, they yeah.
0: all know, like Ryan Lamar's had a, had a nice start to the season, but let's be honest, Ryan Lamar is a 29-year-old journeyman, minor league player. He's a fifth outfielder, and he's probably not going to be on the roster the whole season. And if he's been playing in your starting lineup more often than not with Buxton out, that's a problem, yeah, you want to keep going bad news, bad news, or is this, have you had enough? I think I just tripled down on the Buxton Bad news there with all those things yeah, but yeah let's yeah. keep let's so keep let's, let's this is therapeutic for three people. bet this yeah I'm going three bet this negative hand. I'm with you by the way. I'm still buying twin stock, yeah, this is a great time to buy twin stock because if discounts, you discounts, baby. If you thought they were a playoff team before the season, and you know it's not a disastrous start. they're eight and ten, like it's not like they're. There's other teams right now that are like the Reds have four the Reds wins are or whatever, out of it. Fours the are out of it. Yes. It's over. So eight and ten. April is about not shipwrecking your season. You yeah. can come back from a sub five hundred April. It's 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 if you were to start five and fourteen, okay. Or now only, you're now you're trading Dozier. Maybe so, start at 0 and nine. Which <laughs> has happened before. Yeah. Hey,
1: uh, so I'm just looking at the roster. Honestly, we could do this. Like bad news. Trevor Hildenberger's been disappointing. I wrote in the offseason multiple times that like, I thought Trevor Hildenberger was one of their best relievers. I thought you could have made the case that he had a better year than Fernando Rodney last year, and so he's a late-inning arm for the Twins. But now every time he comes in with runners on base, you can just book it that those guys are scoring. It's obviously a small sample size, and relievers are tricky to you know, judge based on seven innings. But that's been a big disappointment if I'm the Twins that I was kind of personally counting on a lot from Trevor Hildenberger this year, and he hasn't delivered so far.
0: How about the eight walks allowed in five and two-thirds by Zach Duke and apparently has the smallest feet of any Twins reliever, like unable to step on the bag in that key moment (laughs) in Tampa? So either he needs to size up his cleats or work on some PFP. A little more PFP in spring training. Um, Phil Hughes. Phil
1: Hughes is back. That's good news. But Phil Hughes did not pitch well. And the stuff wasn't there. No, the, the reports that we heard from his 94 miles an hour in minor league outings, I've got a column coming soon. It seems to be that those were a little bit uh, overstated.
0: Okay, so for some hashtag balance, to steal a, a new word from Patrick Roycey, if you're following him on Twitter these days in his feud with the Flex. Joe Maurer, positive news, no longer has one of the five worst contracts in Minnesota sports. I can name at least three on the wild, including a couple guys who are undergoing off-season surgery and uh, and are going to be signed until they're in their 40s. Phil Hughes has a worse contract than Joe Maurer. Yeah. First of all, Mauer's expires at the end of the year. But even if Mauer's overpaid, at least he's giving you something. I mean, yeah. he's productive in his mid-30s. Phil Hughes is going to make $13 million a year next year, too. Mm-hmm and he's 8.2. not yeah he's not with Fernando Romero pitching lights out to start the season Goncalves is off to a great start at double a there's names knocking on the door to take these rotation spots so mm. it's not like Phil Heese is going to get two months to flush this thing out i don't know what
1: happens there i really don't if the stuff isn't there people have asked me does he make sense as a long reliever i'd say like in, on a playoff team, you want your long reliever to get outs for
0: sure. I mean, like the Astros' long reliever is Colin McHugh. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. That's, or mean, Chris Davinsky. Slightly yeah. different, you know, roster constructs. But I
1: get your point that you know, long relief, and this leads into my next bad news, bad news, bad news is like you don't get to say anymore. Wow, well, i was just going to drag this guy along because whatever. No, you need pitchers who get outs all the time. You no. always need that. If you're the twins and you're facing the Yankees in New York and you don't think Barrios is going to give you nine innings and you don't, uh, Irvin Santana's not back and you don't think Jayco Tarizi can go nine, you need outs and you need them every day you brought up devensky in Houston. I mean, they've got a number of those guys. You can just come in and be like, okay, Hey, Brad Peacock, can you throw two innings today? And then Davensky will get two. in the tomorrow, you know, in the playoffs, like, okay, Lance McCullers is going to piggyback. It's like, that's a really big luxury to have that the twins don't have right now. So my long winded point is just that if you don't think Phil Hughes is good enough to get outs in the starting rotation, I won't fight you, but that doesn't mean you should just say like, Oh, okay, well then we'll just move him into a spot where we're already down 10 to nothing. You can't, you can't write off those games if you're the Twins. Yeah, this and year. you're trying to hide a Rule Five guy. I was I just going to say know, the here. other bad news is like Kinley, his stuff looks electric, but man, it's not working out so far. I don't know. You how don't long, have that luxury. How long do you play that out before you pull
0: the ripcord? Well, okay, this is where I, there's not there aren't many things I take issue with with this front office, but this is going to be one of them early on. You don't have the luxury in a year in which you're trying to make the postseason of just hiding a guy. You you, you don't have the luxury of a 24-man roster where you're just hiding a guy. Yes. So either you believe in him enough to use him and treat him like a member of a contending bullpen, or, well, there's three options. Three, yes. Or you. you send him back to where he came from, or you like him enough to where you want to stash him at Rochester, and so you swing a trade for him. Yep. Yep, like, But carrying a 24-man roster on a team that expects to contend is not an acceptable choice there.
1: You have to decide that soon, in my opinion.
0: I agree. I'm usually—I
1: wouldn't say in lockstep. I would say that the Twins front office is always two steps ahead of me, and then I, after the fact, I'm like, oh, yeah, I see what they were doing here. That makes sense. But so far, I mean, their Rule 5 pick last year, Justin Haley, did not work out by any means. They traded down to get him and claimed that they loved him, and that didn't work. Now they're looking at a guy who's got electric stuff and I believe made a real drastic change and and has the potential to be a late-inning reliever. But you don't get to say this guy has the potential anymore. If Like, look, if Ryan Presley was performing like this, fans would want him off the roster. I think that the same will be true at some point. Again, all the stuff that I said about Hildenberger applies here to small sample. I'm not saying that this guy sucks and he's not a big leaguer, but I'm saying like if you're learning on the job and you don't trust him in anything resembling a close game, you got to pick from one of those other two options, which is put him on waivers and offer him back or offer the Marlins and say, hey, we like this guy, but like to send him yeah. down. I don't know Phil, maybe you know the rule. He might have to clear waivers in that scenario too. Oh man. And then in which case like I'm the Cincinnati Reds and I might just take a look. <laughs> but, yeah, I'd have to go brush up on that. So here's but... the only thing is that like rule 5 is this like very minor component of building a roster, of roster construction, but you can't then let it have an outsized effect on the rest of your Correct. team. You can't continue to say oh, well, we'll have four-sevenths or four-eighths of our bullpen, just like worthless and we don't trust and Fernando Rodney's blowing up left and right. Like, yeah, whatever. We've got a couple of relievers we can go to in tight tight spots, but
0: that does not last for six months. That's not a winning formula. Correct. Um, I think we could do this all night. Let's let's do the stat of the week. Yes. And hold some of this stuff. And you, (laughs) you and I have been... Like We're looking to pump out more episodes here in the uh, in the near future. You and I have been uh, stuck in a lot of corporate meetings and uh, things that the audience doesn't care about. So we apologize for the lack of actual episodes the last week and a half, but you know what? The Twins weren't even playing games for a while, <laughs> wow. and you haven't missed a whole lot if yeah. <laughs> you have been watching we'll the We'll keep twins, you so. up to date with all of that negativity. Uh, there is uh,
1: There is the episode to be had in the very near future here. The Fernando Rodney experience, which it has been an experience. It's a great band name, too. Yeah, so we'll save that uh, for another time. Stat of the week, I've got two of them, and they're both your guy, Ryan Presley. We've always said that Ryan Presley has this stuff that he should be a beast. He should be closer type reliever, but it's never worked out, and it looked like eh, you might be on your last chance in Minnesota this year. So far, it's working out. We have we read through the stats earlier. I think you listed those off um, from the back of his bubblegum card, Phil, which is impressive. They already have that printed up.
0: Yeah, I and I still buy yeah. baseball cards, yeah. and they still have stale bubblegum inside the packs. It's he crazy. Made, made
1: eight appearances in the 2018 season. Now <laughs> I know where Burt Blaleven gets his... Uh... It's most of
0: his commentary must from chew a broadcast. lot of bubble gum.
1: <laughs> Taken in the Rule 5 draft by the Minnesota
0: Twins. Here are my I'm two here to stats. read stats off the back of these baseball cards and chew the bubble gum. <laughs> yes. And I'm all out of bubble gum.
1: Um, here are the two stats that I'd like to go through. I, you and I, I remember we were sitting in the Fort Myers press box two years ago, Phil, and we are talking about Ryan Presley. And this is, we always make jokes about, quote-unquote, stat cast era, which is like, what, three years? <laughs> we're always like, Oh, John uh, uh, Carlos Stanton has the highest average exit velocity in the Statcast era, which goes back to three weeks right. ago. <laughs> That's right, it's like, yeah, I just made the uh, the oldest reference of this podcast
0: era. And Gary Sheffield's like, "All right, wait a second. Okay, yeah. <laughs> can we translate that thing back to the yeah. late '90s, right? Exa-
1: Barry Bonds on lines one, two, and three. Yeah, but I, it's still there's interesting stuff to mine from this. And here's maybe maybe I'll turn this into my Ryan Presley column I don't know but stat of the week is that Ryan Presley still a stat cast all-star I've got his spin rates up here and and spin rate isn't everything but for the for the person who has not yet dug into spin rates um basically it's a it's an interesting secondary way to evaluate pitches like you can look at a curveball and you can be like yeah that's just a great curveball and then you can go look at the spin rate and say like, oh, okay, I see where it's getting its like its downward force, or um, you still don't know, can he throw that for a strike? Can he throw it behind in the count? Does he trust it? What? All of these things about pitching still matter, but we can put some numbers to it, and that's, that's kind of fun. So when I watch Ryan Presley, I see the fastball, it pops, and I see a curveball that when it's on and when he's throwing it for strikes, or when he's starting it as a strike and running out of the strike zone, forget about it. That's why I think he has always had this lights out potential ryan presley fastball his four seam spin rate ryan presley rates 10th in major league baseball at the time of this recording and i would venture to guess that by the end of the season he will still be in the top handful of pitchers yeah that's not that's been a thing for him for a couple years his uh rotations per minute on his four seam fastball here according to baseball savant is 2,561 rpms average for pitchers like 2200 and you don't want to be average if you're a really low spin guy you can work maybe down in the strike zone and you might be able to do some things with deception and that yeah those are like the uh the the
0: heavy fastballs that hitters sure. talk about that, yep that just sort of dive at the feet
1: and if you're a high spin guy maybe you work up in the strike zone the mlb leader right now and he might finish the season as the mlb leader i would put good money on it is luke bard who used to be in the Twins system and he is leading uh, all of the majors in four-seam spin rate at 2,770 rotations per minute. So a little bit better than Ryan Presley and a lot better than the MLB average. Here's the interesting thing about Presley to me. His curveball also has a really high spin rate. We all, Seth Lugo is kind of like the guy who gets stat-cast love for his curveball spin rate. He's third in Major League Baseball with 3,105 RPMs. Ahead of him on that list, at number two, Ryan Presley, thirty-one hundred forty rotations per minute, which to me is just another—it's a number that we can put to the eye test that says, yeah, Ryan Presley's got some filthy stuff. Now yeah. throw it in the strike zone, get ahead and counts, drive
0: the situation where you want to, and you're probably in business with this and, guy. And for Presley, the question has never really been, what kind of car does he drive? The answer is always, "Oh, he drives a Ferrari. Mm-hmm. The question is, does he know how to—does he know how to, like— turn the ignition on and sure. reach the pedals which lane is and he driving like, yeah exactly <laughs> like does he know how to shift gears and to this point up until this year the answer is no he really doesn't he's closing his eyes and just like hitting the gas you know with a brick attached to his foot well looks we'll like he's now. figured it out yep. uh, early
1: early but ryan presley your stat of the week and your stat cast all-star on the twins pitching staff